trust him that's all he asks and if we trust him then we'll respond to his love at every turn if we trust him and we walk in his spirit as we respond in love we'll find ourselves being faithful to him and to the people around us because the reason we're not faithful is because we don't trust him and the reason we don't walk in love is because we don't trust that if we walk in love that he's gonna provide the israelites are making their way through the promised land So far, they've witnessed God intervene on their behalf in some pretty incredible ways. What you'll discover in today's passage will continue to display the awesome power of God. But as Pastor Daniel explains, you get to decide how you'll respond to this account. Will you believe God and trust Him? That's what following Him is all about. He wants you to trust Him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 10 as he begins his message, Son, Stand Still. All right, everyone, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10, as we continue our study here through the book of Joshua, one of the most classic, famous chapters in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 10. Now, there are moments in our Bibles where we are absolutely confronted with the reality that the God who created and sustained everything, who sent his son Jesus, can do absolutely anything he wants to, whenever he wants to, no matter how he wants to do it. Now, when we are confronted with that, every single one of us ends up making a call in our life. Are we going to trust in the God of the anything is possible, or are we going to walk with what we see and what we understand? And I think that in the 21st century, and it was the same in the 20th century, it's not new, but the reality of a God who can do anything is a complete and total affront to the mind of the modern person. Because everything we know, I mean, there's whole schools of philosophy that would say that you can only know something based on evidence. And so if something has never happened that way before, then it will never happen. But that's not a biblical thought. That's a cultural thought. And the Bible, in its amazing way that it functions, will always challenge whatever the cultural assumptions that a culture has. And it's not just like this culture. I mean, in every generation, the Bible comes and says, you know, there's a different way that this could go. And in every generation, the Bible becomes so provocative because it invites us to believe that there's something bigger than even all of the historic evidence tells us. And when we see God extending the daytime so that Joshua and the children of Israel can win a battle... Everybody at that point has to say, is this true or is this fiction? Is this something that is possible? And if it is impossible, is the God who can do anything and holds everything in his hands, can that God still accomplish what we deem to be impossible? And I would say that in each one of our lives, 
If we cannot say that the God who creates and sustains everything can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, then you can't call yourself a Christian. You're an atheist. Because what you're saying is I can only believe that God can do what I can see. Which is doesn't, it's no faith. Now, I'm not asking you all to simply believe. I'm asking you to take God's word at face value. And if God works in these ways, then live that out in your daily life. Just simply trust that God can do something that makes no sense. Whether it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace, where not only did they not get burned when the, some of the guards who put them in got burned, but they walk out without anything binding. They don't even smell like smoke. They're not wearing like fiery tarted clothes. They don't have like fiery tarted headdresses on, you know? But God preserved them. And if not any other thing other than what's gonna, we're gonna see today, but the fact that Jesus was crucified and he was dead on a cross and he was buried in a tomb for three days and then he walked out of that tomb. And I'll put to us all and to myself as I say it, if God can do that, then what are we afraid of? What do our situations hold for us in light of this? And I think for all of us, that's the question that we bring into our lives. That if God can do, he can part the Red Sea, he can speak the universe into existence. If God can take a slingshot and a little stone from a little shepherd boy and lodge it deep in the skull of the fiercest warrior of the times... If the children of Israel can walk around Jericho and shout and the walls fall down. If God can consume an offering on an altar that's been drenched with water in the midst of a drought like the prophet Elijah. If God can do all those things, then what are we afraid of? And my friends, that's what it means to be a Christian. It means to learn how to trust a God who can do anything, even though... We haven't seen it happen yet. And in some ways, I almost just want to like, I don't even need to preach now. I just told you everything I need to tell you. Because literally, all God asks is that we trust him. That's all he asks. And if we trust him, then we'll respond to his love at every turn. If we trust him and we walk in his spirit, as we respond in love, we'll find ourselves being faithful to him and to the people around us. Because the reason we're not faithful is because we don't trust him and the reason we don't walk in love is because we don't trust that if we walk in love that he's gonna provide and today we're gonna be confronted with god doing something that by all accounts is completely impossible but it happened so check it out joshua chapter 10 verse 1 it starts like this Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, 
heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, and as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all of its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, sent to uh, Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, the king of Jarmuth, Japhia, the king of Lachish, and Debir, the king of Eglon, saying, come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up. They and all their armies encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. So really what you have is now all of a sudden the focus shifts from the Gibeonites, if you remember in Joshua chapter 9, the Gibeonites were locals, but they pretended like they were foreigners so that Joshua, the children of Israel, would make peace with them. But now we move to Jerusalem. Now, if you study the Bible at all, you realize that Jerusalem ultimately is the place that David conquers and David makes his royal kingdom there and they end up putting the temple there and all this. But at this point, this is long before the children of Israel inhabited Jerusalem. And we have this king whose name is Adonai Zedek. Now, what's interesting is Adonai Zedek most likely was not this king's actual name. This was the title king because the word Adonai is the Hebrew word that we get Lord from. And Zedek literally means righteousness. So Adonai Zedek means the Lord, our righteousness. That's what it actually means. So it was a common title for kings, people in power in that day. Most likely it wasn't his individual name. So we have this king who we know as Adonai Zedek. And literally it says, when he had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and destroyed it, Right, And what he had done to Jericho and its king, and he did the same thing to Ai and its king, which was defeating the cities and killing the kings. And when he found out that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel, then he gets nervous. So he says he feared greatly. Now, before we go past that, what I want to tell you, and I think this is super important, is that you have to be careful when you make decisions based on fear. Because what happens is, is fear, you guys know that you take the word fear, you want to know what fear is, it's F-E-A-R, false expectations appearing real. So the problem when you make decisions based on fear, remember, fear is false expectations. You're worrying about something that actually isn't founded in reality. And so whenever you make a decision based on something that's false, guess what you get? The wrong decision. Now, let's be honest. And I want everyone to be real with me here. How many of you ever made a decision based on fear? <laughs> exactly. Now, our pastor here at Crossroads, Pastor Greg, always says, and I love it, he says, you need to introduce your fear to your God. You need to introduce your fear to your God. And so you have to be careful when you make decisions based on fear. Because those decisions almost always get you into a bad situation, as is the case here. He's fearing greatly. And why is he fearing? First, because Gibeon was a great city. And it says, like one of the royal cities, and it was even greater than Ai. So the Gibeonites making peace with Joshua makes... Adonai Zedek, really nervous because this was a great city. It was like the idea of it being like a royal city. It speaks of a place where a king would dwell, which speaks of a very secure city. If you think about, you know, the president of the United States, when he goes traveling, he's not like sitting on the back of a pickup truck. 
like an old Pinto. You know, as cool as that might look for the president on the back of a Pinto, it's like he's in a super armored vehicle that's like, because the leader gets placed in the most protective environment. So them saying that Gibeon was like a royal city, it speaks of security, it being a walled city. It was some place that could keep enemies at bay to protect the king. So the fact that Gibeon made this peace treaty, it was a great city, it was one of the royal cities, it was even greater than Ai, and notice, and all of its men were mighty. So the idea here is not only is it a great city, but the men who lived in Gibeon were known to be great warriors, and so now, not only the testimony of Joshua, the children of Israel, with Jericho and Ai, but now their confederation with Gibeon now is a big problem. So he begins to make decisions here. He says, therefore, Adonai Zezek, king of Jerusalem, sent to a number of these kings. You have Hoham. Now, of course, if you're looking for good names for your kids, your kids yet to be named. We have a whole great list of names here that are better than Daniel and Paul and Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the greatest name, but don't name your kid Jesus. I'm just kidding. If your name is Jesus, I'm just messing with you. But that's a big name to live up to. I mean, like he's like God in flesh. Anyway, I'm going to just pass on that one. So you have Hoham, Piram, Japhia, and Debir. So these are great names, not normal names, unique names. And he says to them, come up to me, verse 4, and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and the children of Israel. So notice what his plan is. His plan is to punish Gibeon for making a peace treaty with Joshua. And what, he, what they don't realize is because they made the peace treaty, Joshua's going to come to their aid. But they're trying to retaliate for the decision that was made. And so, of course, from there we hear in verse 5, Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Yarmouth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up and all their armies, and they encamped before Gibeon, and made war against it. Now, a couple things are fascinating because all of these cities are all located within about 20 or 30 miles of Jerusalem. So these are all the, the neighbors, but now notice that they're called the king of the Amorites. So the idea here is that they have these individual cities, but they're known collectively as the Amorites. And of course, the Amorites were the main people group who were on this side of the Jordan that the children of Israel were supposed to conquer so that they can receive this land. And so from there, it says, in the men of Gibeon, verse 6, sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, do not forsake your servants, Come up to us quickly, save us, and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So you notice what goes on here is that because of the peace treaty between the Gibeonites and the children of Israel, the men of Gibeon feel completely comfortable to ask for help. And right away, Joshua comes. And now what's amazing is as Joshua starts to move and then God begins to speak. Now, I don't want to overemphasize this application, but my pastor used to always say to me, Daniel, God can't move a parked car. Now, obviously, theologically, God can do anything he wants to do. 
But the idea is, is that sometimes you got to be moving for God to actually show you what he wants to do. Right? And so the idea here is that Joshua begins moving in the direction he feels he's supposed to, and God begins to speak. And I just want to encourage all of you, because for there's many of us who we find ourselves kind of caught in like an analysis paralysis, where you're like, what do I do? Do I do this? Do I do this? this?" And you're not doing anything. But really what you need is you need to start taking these steps of faith in the direction you think you're supposed to be going, and while you're on the way, God will lead you. So Joshua begins moving. Why? Because he already made the peace treaty. And so he knows that he is bound by the covenant that he made in the name of God to help the Gibeonites. So he starts heading that way and then God begins to speak. So I just really want to encourage you to not be in park. The Christian faith is meant to be a in motion type of a experience. You know, that everything about the Christian faith, and you can see it in the gospels because All the way through the Gospels, before the cross, Jesus would say, come, come, come. Then after the cross, and when Jesus was resurrected, seven out of the eight sayings that you have of Jesus from the time he was resurrected until his ascension is go. And so we come to Jesus that we may be redeemed, and then we go out in his name. And so if you don't know what to do, start heading in the direction that you believe is for God's highest praise and glory and makes the most sense given what you already understand about God and then trust he's going to lead you as you go and as you go the key is to be saying Lord I'm heading in this direction because I think this is in accordance with your highest purposes but what is your will God and if I'm getting it wrong I want you to show me so that I don't get it wrong and I think if we can get comfortable moving and praying as we go we'll be better off Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating just activity for activity's sake. But unfortunately, it's all too common for many of us to be stuck in park. I don't understand why God's not doing anything. It's like, well, dude, you got the emergency brake on. Even if God wanted to do something, you're not going anywhere. So we have to be willing to step on out. So Joshua takes the step. He, In his heart of hearts, he knows what's going on. But the Lord speaks to Joshua. Don't fear them. For I've delivered them in your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Wow. Now, don't miss. This is Joshua going to help the Gibeonites against five cities that have conglomerated together. So it's not like he's just going against AI. He's going against a collection of cities. But the Lord's like, listen, don't fear. I've already delivered them. And in some ways, you begin to realize that in some ways... Maybe the whole thing with the Gibeonites was all about getting them to this point, knowing God, knowing that when Joshua made the peace treaty with the Gibeonites, all of these cities were going to band together and God was going to deliver them all in one fell swoop rather than the children of Israel having to do five different battles. Have you ever realized that? That sometimes what God is doing in the moment makes absolutely no sense. You're like, this is just getting worse. But actually God knows exactly what he's doing to put pieces together so that the perfect thing can happen. Now, remember, we talked about the idea of having faith. Can you trust that God might be working together a bigger plan because he wants to accomplish something more efficiently if he does it this way than if you have to have five battles? But see, we don't think this way, do we? I mean, you can imagine it's one thing to go into battle with one city to go against five at one time. That sounds a little scary. But God, and what I would say is that if you read your Bible, is that God is completely faithful. That God can be trusted. 
that even though it doesn't make much sense most of the time, God knows exactly what he's doing. And we would do better just to say, look, I don't get it, but I'm going to trust. Than to say, I'm just going to freak out because I don't get it. Because those are our two options, aren't you? Either freak out, and I realize everyone freaks out in different ways. You know, some people like freak out. It's like a full scale meltdown, you know, like, like a temper tantrum, but for an adult. I think it's still called a temper tantrum when an adult has it, right? You know, and so it's like if you're freaking out, and, and then other people, they're like super chill, but on the inside, they're freaking out. Like the little duck freak out. You know, the duck looks all cool on the water, but underneath it, they're like this. So everyone freaks out in different ways. But that's a choice that we make, really. But God's got a plan here. And so it says in verse 9, Then Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Now, I think it's kind of a cool thing, because Joshua being in Gilgal, going over to Gibeon, he marched 25 miles. You almost get the sense that Joshua heading out that way, God speaking, that Joshua marching all night, it was nothing to him. Because that's what happens when you are called and sent. When God calls and when you are sent by God, even though it's hard, you don't sense how hard it is because you know you're supposed to be doing it. And I think for too many of us, one of the struggles that we have is that we don't have a sense of calling. That everything is something that we can do until we don't feel like doing it anymore. Right? So it just gets too hard or I just can't handle it anymore. But when you're called to it, God will equip you in it and he will see you through it. So sometimes we just need to write down, this is what I'm called to. Do you understand what your calling is? Now, in some ways, you don't have to think too hard because if you're married, you're called to your spouse. If you're a parent, you're called to your kids. If you're a grandparent, you're called to your spouse, obviously, and your kids and your grandkids. If you're a teacher, then you're called to do that, you know? And so our calling begins right with the places that we find ourselves right now. Like if you're single right now, you are called to be single. And you pursue that office in such a way that brings God glory. And if God changes that, then then it adjusts. But you start with your calling right where you are. Because often they say, well, what's your calling? Like, well, I really want to be called to be like an astronaut. But, you know, I've really got these 19 kids that I'm raising, you know. (laughs) But I really want to be an astronaut. Well, you got 19 kids, so you're actually called to be a parent. And the only space you're going to be doing is putting stars on your kids' ceilings. (laughs) You know, like, that's how that works. And so your calling begins right where you are. And have we embraced those callings? And can we trust God in the midst of those things? That verse read to me when I read that. I was like, man, it's like Joshua just finds out. He gets up. He goes. He marches 25 miles in the middle of the night. Like if I ran 25, I mean, I wouldn't run 25 miles. Yeah, how many of you guys see those marathon stickers? You know, 13.1, 26.2. I got one that's a 0.0. I don't run. I just sleep. You know what I mean? I mean, just imagine marching 25 miles in the middle of the night. I mean, even if you're in a 10-minute mile, which I probably couldn't run a 10-minute mile for one mile, let alone 25 miles. I mean, it's going to take a while to get there. But they get there so swiftly that they come upon them. They're not even ready for them. So, what's your calling? Remember, Pastor Daniel said that your calling begins in the places you are right now. 
So it's your spouse, it's your kids, it's your current job, it's your neighbors, it's your friends. And don't forget that God will equip you to do the things he's called you to do. He will see you through till the end. He's faithful and he's powerful. He can do amazing things in and through you as you simply respond to Jesus. So say yes and lean into him as you watch his amazing plan unfold. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel continues this account of the Israelites' battle against the cities that had banded together. You'll see how God fought with them. In fact, more enemies were taken out by God's hail than by his people's swords. How wonderful to serve a God who wants us to participate, even when he could easily handle it on his own. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Conquest. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.